I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're not going to get there just yet. I've been announcing, promoting shamelessly this series on the Christian home for some time, and there's a reason for that. Um, I believe that this subject is one of great importance um, for several reasons. One of, one of those reasons is, I, I just want to say I'm thankful that God has blessed our church with a good number of young families with children, and, you know, not every church has that, and uh, I've been in a lot of churches um, where that's just not the case, and, and, uh, and the Lord has really blessed our church with families, and I think it's just important that we're all on the same page with what, what the Bible says about how the home is to function. Uh, quite honestly, this is one of those those areas of life that the world gets it all wrong. <laughs> and if we take our cues from just what comes naturally or what we see in the world, uh, we're going to kind of follow in the footsteps of a world that's very messed up. And I think it's safe to say, I don't think there's many who would disagree with me, that uh, American homes in general are just a mess. And that's not, it's not what God intended. And yet, I think there's, there's a pretty obvious reason for it. And that reason is that Satan is actively working against families and, and the structure of the home. Why, why would he do that? Well, tonight I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the importance of the family. And really, this message is going to be more introductory. We're not going to deal with a whole lot of nuts and bolts and family relationships tonight. But I want you to just think with me uh, about a passage of Scripture that's probably familiar to us. Ephesians 5 tells us, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And then at the end of that passage, it says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So when we consider even some foundational principles about marriage and family, and just in the next, the following verses, it talks about children obeying their parents and all of that. This teaching on the home, we're given insight into the fact that the home is a picture of the relationship between God and His people. After all, we know God as our Father. We are his children. And so imagine with me then the, the, the power that Satan would have if he were to be able to distort the picture of what a home is and should look like, how he could confuse 
even our relationship to God and the relationship of God over His churches. And so it stands to reason tonight that Satan would be out to get us at the level of our families. It's obvious that Satan would want to distort this earthly picture of heavenly truth in order to confuse and ultimately confound. And I don't want to start this whole thing out on a real somber note, but I do, I do just think it's important for all of us to be aware. Husbands and wives, Satan is after your marriage. Parents, the devil is after your kids. He wants to get into your home. He wants to gain a stronghold. And he wants to divide. And he wants to separate because he knows that if he can get to the home, he can start to affect other areas of life and your relationship not only with one another, but with the church and ultimately with the Lord. And so tonight as we consider that sobering truth, and I just want to kind of back up a little bit, and we're going to start in the book of Genesis, and we're going to consider the importance of the family based on some things we see from very on in Scripture, very early on in Scripture. And as we consider this, I just want to show you that God in, in His creation, in His infinite wisdom, created not just people, but families. And so here we are in Genesis 1. I'll let you remain seated tonight because we're going to be kind of bouncing around a little bit. Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 26. We've read of all the things that God has created to this, this point. Uh, the earth, light, uh, the, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, plant life, animal life, all of those things He's created that. We come to verse 26 of chapter 1 of Genesis and it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, listen to this, be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion, over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so God, from the very beginning, in His creation, He created man. Man was His last creation, but, it, it, but, but we are also, and this isn't a prideful or arrogant thing, we are His greatest creation. Man is the only uh, uh, part of God's creation that is created in God's very image. And so after he created all the things of the earth and everything in the world, God said, now, it, 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 this is time for the, the grand finale of all of this, okay? I'm going to create an image bearer of myself. I'm going to create man. But unlike all of the rest of creation, God created man with a very specific purpose in mind. 
In other words, in, in, in the previous verses, uh, God simply said, let this happen, let, let, let these be created, let these things form on the earth, and they were. But when it came to man, God actually said, I want to create man, and here is why. He said uh, uh, that, that, that man was to have dominion over, basically, all the rest of creation. The fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, and, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that man was to have dominion. In other words, God's creation was to be overseen and, and managed by his latest creation, man, mankind. And then, in verse 28, after he created man, he gave very specific instructions to man. Now, none of the rest of his creation do we see him giving instruction to. God didn't sit the birds down one day and say, I want you to wake up every morning and chirp and, 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 and sing songs of praise to me. They just do that by nature. That's just the way that they're created. They just do that. But with God, or with man, God initiated a relationship where there was communication and, and there was instruction and God made it very clear from the, from the beginning you have a purpose and you have some things that I expect of you. Verse 28 God said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion and he goes on and, and describes it but notice he, he said I, I, I want you not to just be but I want you to reproduce. I, I, I want you to carry on what I have done. God created man. He created him with a purpose. And let me just pause there for a moment and say that you are also a creation of God and you have a purpose. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are not the result of some random chance that just came about. God uniquely designed you and made you the way that you are, who you are, not just your physical body, but your very makeup, your personality, uh, your, the, the, the way that you are. God made you. And He made you for a purpose. And we understand Revelation chapter 4, for instance, tells us that all things were created by God and for Him. That we were created to bring honor and glory and praise to the name of our Creator. That's absolutely true. And that is in a general sense the purpose of every person alive on the face of the earth today. But I want you to know that you, you don't exist just for a general purpose. You have a specific purpose. God created you, uniquely you, just the way that He did in order to fulfill His will in your life. That's why, for instance, we can read in Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 about the gifts that the Lord gives to His people, to believers to function even within a church. If you're a child of God, God wants for you to be a member of a New Testament church, a body wherein you have a purpose. There is something that God has uniquely designed you to do within this body of Christ right here. And the church benefits when you know that purpose and do it, 
And the church suffers when you don't. So every, every person has a purpose. And, and, and for anyone who might be thinking, oh, you know, I just don't really matter. In the big scheme of things, I don't really matter. That is not at all the picture that we get from reading the Word of God. God cares about you. In the song that we sang just a moment ago, uh, we sang a line in there that says, Oh, His love is sure and He knows my name. Did you know that that's actually a biblical concept that God knows your name? He calls you by name? That, that the very hairs of your head are all numbered? God knows and cares about you as an individual. And you matter. You matter to God. But here we, we see this creation created for the purpose uh, of fulfilling the will and plan of God. But as we go over to chapter 2 and verse number 18, I want you to look very carefully with, with me at this. God has created man. And in verse 18 of chapter 2, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. So the second thing we see, we see that God has a purpose in your life. God has a purpose in creation. But the second thing that we see is that this purpose is best fulfilled in the context of a family. Now, now think with me on this. God created man with a purpose, and then said, in order for him to be able to fulfill the purpose for which I've designed him, I am going to give him a wife. I am going to create for him a helper, one who can assist him in accomplishing my purpose for him. Now, I will say, just at the outset, in case, because I know we have some single people here that are listening, I just want to make it abundantly clear. I am not saying that God's purpose for you can only be fulfilled in the context of a family. In fact, when we get over to uh, the New Testament, we find, and, and Lord willing, we'll, we'll even address this in, in coming messages, but, but we get over to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, and, and Paul challenges the people there to consider embracing a life of singleness so that they can give themselves more completely to the Lord and to His service. And if God has called you to be uh, single and, 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 and to, to live your life in that manner, then praise God. Fulfill what God has called you to do and just give yourself completely to the Lord. But, but for many of us, I think it's, it's clear to say that God has, has put us in a position where our family exists not just simply so that we can enjoy their company and, and have their uh, uh, relationships and, and fellowship and all of that, but actually because it is in the context of family that we are best able to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. I know personally for myself... My life and my ministry would look very different if it were not for my wife and children. God has put us within a family because this is how He wants to accomplish uh, His will through us, most of us, many of us. And I, and I just want to say, I want you to notice that this is the very first 
God has been creating things. But now, in chapter 2, he creates an institution. And that institution is the home. So he says in verse 18, The Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman. And brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So God created the institution of marriage and family. Actually, as we look through the Bible, we find several different institutions that God created. We see that he created a structure of government. We see, as we come over to the New Testament, that he created the, the, the institution of the church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm thankful for all three of those institutions tonight. Amen. I don't always appreciate my government, but I'm thankful that government exists. It, 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 was, it was spawned in the mind of God. I definitely appreciate the institution of the New Testament church. I'm thankful that I'm not just left out there on my own to try and seek God on my own, but God has given me a community of fellow believers that we can, we've bonded together, not just in loose-knit relationships where it's like, hey, let's, you know, let's just kind of hang out and study the Word of God together, but we have joined together. We have covenanted together as a body in Christ, Amen. committed to serving the Lord together. I'm thankful for that institution, but I want you to know something. The institution of the church is built on families. Churches are made up of families. And, and truthfully, the family matters because, think of it, the church could be no stronger than our families. This church will not grow beyond and mature beyond the maturity and strength of our homes. Now, that doesn't mean that our homes are a replacement for the church, but it is important for us to understand that they are foundational to the church. Amen. No wonder it's under such great attack by our enemy. And I, I just want to take a moment and, and kind of walk through a couple of examples of how God's work has often centered around families. If we were to go forward to uh, just a few chapters, we would run into Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was spared.
from the great flood that destroyed the whole earth. But it wasn't just Noah, was it? We are told multiple times that Noah and his wife and his sons and his sons' wives were saved. Why? Because it would be Noah and his wife and his sons and his sons' wives that would ultimately repopulate the earth after the destruction of the flood. And then let's go forward to chapter 12 here tonight. Genesis 12. And in Genesis 12, we're going to look at verse number 1. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Now, now we look at this covenant that God made with Abraham and, and as he promised to give him a, a mighty nation that would spring forth from him. We often think of that as a national covenant. Right? I mean, it, it was the, the nation of Israel would come out of, of Abraham, and it was a national covenant. It was God making a covenant with what would ultimately become a great nation, a nation that would later be ruled by kings. And, 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 and I mean, it, it, even today, the nation of Israel still is in existence, miraculously, as amazing as that is. But really, before Israel was a nation there was a family. And God reached down to Abraham and he said, you and your wife, Sarah, or Sarai at this point, he said, I'm going to give your seed, your offspring, your descendants, I'm going to give them this land. My covenant is with them. Now, hear me on this. You know the story of Abraham. Abraham was old. Sarah was old. Sarah wasn't able to have children. And so what happened? They hatched a plan, a scheme. And they said, we're going we're gonna to make this happen. We're going to help God fulfill his promise. How silly is that, right? But, so here's what happened. Then Sarah gives to Abraham her handmaid to have a child with Hagar so that God's plan can come to pass. You know, God apparently overlooked our age here. So uh, here, let's do this. Here's Hagar. You can have a child with her. Did Abraham have a child with her? Yes. Ishmael. But he was not the son of the covenant. Why? I believe because he was not the son of the family. He was illegitimate. 
Now, now that's, not, that, that's not a derogatory statement. It's just the reality of the situation. I understand there's a lot that goes into that. And, 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 and maybe the reasoning behind it, there, it's a very complex issue of what happened there. But ultimately, God said, no, Abraham, my covenant with you is going to be fulfilled in the right way. A husband and wife are going to bear a child. And through that child, I will fulfill my covenant. I'm just saying to you tonight that I believe that God has often throughout history worked through families. And I believe that God wants to work in your family and in my family. And while we don't have the promise of a covenant where God says, you know, I'm going to make of you a great nation, I do believe that every one of us, uh, if you are a, a husband here tonight, if you are a, a wife here tonight, if you are parents here tonight, if you are children here tonight, you ought to be asking God, Lord, would you bless our home in such a way that you would use us to accomplish your purpose and your will for our lives. Help us. God works in and through families. And just continuing that thought... I believe that the strength of our families will greatly affect our ability to fulfill God's purpose. We're in Genesis. Let's just go forward a little bit further to chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. The strength of our families will greatly affect our ability to fulfill God's purpose in our lives. If something's wrong in the home, it's going to affect our ability to fulfill God's will. Genesis chapter 18, the Lord is about to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He's just met with Abraham and Sarah, and he's talked with them there. But look with me at verse number 17, if you will. It says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So he's reiterating his promise to Abraham. He, he's talking of this. He's saying, I, I ought to share with him and tell him what I'm going to do because he is the recipient of my covenant. But look at verse number 19. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. What did God say? God said, essentially, if I can summarize that, that the success of the covenant between God and Abraham was somewhat dependent on Abraham being the right kind of husband and father. Let me read it again. In verse number 19, I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Abraham, I know him, he's going to do a good job in his home so that I may fulfill what I want to do in him. Are you starting to see how important things are in your family? We go over to the New Testament and we find, in fact, let's take the time to go there. 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy 3, 
I want to say to you that, that God has given very clear qualifications of pastors, elders, what they're called here in this passage are bishops, but these, these two are synonymous. 1 Timothy 3, verse number 1 says, This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Now, verse 2 says, A bishop then must be, and it goes on and describes the qualifications of a bishop or a pastor, an elder, an overseer within the church. But notice the very first thing it says, that, that if a man desire the office of a bishop, do you know what I believe the very first requirement uh, is for a, a, a pastor? Is a calling from God. He must be God-called. That desire, the, the concept of a desire, in fact, even that specific word desire, it doesn't just mean this thing of like, yeah, I mean, maybe someday I could see myself doing that, or I'd like to do that someday. It has to do with this inner uh, passion. And, and, and if anyone who has ever been called of God and, and, and experienced that, you know this is something that God has put within you. Jeremiah described it as, as a burning fire shut up in his bones. He said, I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. And if you have been called of God, there is just something there, a desire that God puts in your heart. I, I've heard a lot of Preachers say, I really wrestled with it. I fought the, the call of God on my life, but ultimately I could no longer uh, forbear. I could no longer hold back. I knew that God had called me. That is something that God does in the heart of a, of a man. And so there's this man that has a desire, but in order to fulfill that desire, in order to fulfill the calling of God on his life, there are qualifications. In other words, I can't just say, well, I am called of God, therefore, you ought to accept me as your pastor. No. Part of the church's responsibility is to look at a God-called man and say, does he measure up to the standard that God has for him? And so then, a bishop must be. And here's one of the things that it says he must be. Verse number 4. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So a, a man that is going to be a pastor must be able to rule in his house. Why? Because the responsibility of a pastor is to be a ruler within the church. I know a lot of people don't like that kind of phraseology, but that's biblical terminology. That, 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 that pastors are rulers within the church. Hebrews tells us, remember them that have the rule over you, that have spoken unto you the word of God. It, it is a ruling position. It's not one of dictatorship. It's not one of, 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 of trying to meddle in, in the affairs of your life, but it is one. First uh, Peter Chapter 5 tells the elders of the church that they are to take the oversight of the church. But here he says that if, if, if a man is not able to rule in his home, he's not able to rule in the church. And let me say to you that it is entirely possible for a man to be called of God 
and yet disqualified from the very calling that God desires for him. And there are a lot of reasons that he could be disqualified, but one of the big reasons is because of the situation in his home. And so I admonish pastors and preachers uh, when, I, when, when I talk to them, when I preach to them, I say, you know, make sure your home is in order because if things aren't right there, it's going to affect your ability to lead in the church. And you might be sitting there tonight and saying, but God hasn't called me to be a pastor or a missionary or something of that nature, but I do want you to know, remember, God has a purpose for you. And the things that happen in your home could very possibly affect your ability to fulfill God's purpose for you. Our families are of utmost importance. Husbands, can I say to you, that as you look at your marriage, and you might say, well, things aren't great, things aren't really what they ought to be, don't treat that lightly. If things are not right in your marriage, you need to find a way to make it right and get it right, because if you don't, it's going to hinder your ability to fulfill God's purpose. Parents, you look at your children, and maybe you say, well, you know, they're not the most obedient children in the world. Uh, just kind of roll your eyes and go on as though it's no big deal. I'm just telling you, Satan is after your kids. And one of the reasons he's after your kids is because he knows if he can get to them, he can hinder what, what God wants to do in your life and in your family, in your home, and in the future. His will and His purpose for you. We ought not to treat our homes as if, as if they're not a big deal. It is a big deal. Don't neglect it. Don't, don't write it off and say, you know, it's just not of, of greatest importance. I'm really busy in right, life right now. Maybe someday I'll have time to dedicate to my family. Friend, there is no greater priority in your life other than your relationship with God than your family. Oh, I'm just busy. I just have to work all the time. Then get a different job. No, I mean, I'm serious. Don't lose your kids because you've got to make money. Don't let, don't let Satan tear down and destroy your marriage because you just don't have time. One of my greatest fears uh, as, as, a, as a pastor, as someone in ministry is the possibility of giving myself so wholly to the ministry that I would lose my own family. And that may sound strange to you, but Pastor Smith could attest to the fact that we've seen men do this. While I don't endorse everything that he stood for, everything that he was, a well-known evangelist of years gone by was a man by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday had a famous reputation for being uh, a, a strong preacher, and the Lord certainly did use him in many ways over the years, and at the end of his life, he was quoted as saying this, the great tragedy of my life 
is that though I have led thousands to Christ, my own sons are not saved. Imagine the feeling of regret in knowing that you've reached the whole world, but you've lost your own family. Listen, I don't want that in my home. And I don't want that for you. I want to see God work in our homes. I believe that if God is going to do a work in our church, if we're going to see a moving of the Lord, if we're going to see revival taking place, it's not going to happen apart from our homes or separate from our homes. We can't compartmentalize in that way. If we want God to work in our church, we've got to let God work in our homes. And so the reason for this series is because I have a great burden. God has entrusted us with a responsibility. And if we allow distractions to get in the way and we treat it as though it's no big deal, I believe Satan can get an advantage of us and hinder what God really wants to do. And so my prayer, my desire, is that we would see God doing a work in our homes. I'm praying that in the coming days and weeks and months that God will strengthen our marriages. Maybe you say, well, I don't have a bad marriage now. Well, I think there's always room for improvement. It could be better. I'm praying that God will work in the lives of our kids. I want to see our young people getting saved. I mean, genuinely converted. I want to see the Lord working in them. I want to see relationships that have been strained between brothers and sisters and adult children with their parents and all of those things. I want to see that stuff restored. Folks, I want you to know God can do that. God can do that. But I think we need to surrender to Him and submit to Him that, you know what, this is an area of priority and I need God's help. And I'm not preaching to you as one who has all the answers. Come sit at my feet and I'll tell you what you need to do. I am preaching to you as one who recognizes how desperately I need God to help me to be a husband and a father. And I want to just ask you, to pray with me that God would bring about revival in our homes.